Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Furies. The Boppers. The Hi-Hats. The Lizzies. The Turnbull ACs. The Gramercy Riffs. Riffs! These are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety stand 20,000 cops. (laughs) And 100,000 sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the Warriors. They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The Warriors. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Warriors from 1979. The studio was Paramount Pictures' release date was February 9th, 1979. The running time, 92 minutes, and the rating of R. The budget was $4 million, and the box office took in $22.4 million, making it the 28th-ranked movie of 1979. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 90% fresh from 39 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, as violent as it is stylish, The Warriors is a thrilling piece of pulp filmmaking. Roger Ebert at the time gave the movie two out of four stars, and here's his review. The Warriors is a real peculiarity, a movie about street gang warfare written and directed as an exercise in mannerism. There's hardly a moment where we believe that the movie's gangs are real, or that their members are real people, or that they inhabit a real city. That's where the peculiarity comes in. I don't think we're supposed to. No matter what impression the ads give, this isn't even remotely intended as an action film. It's a set piece. It's a ballet of stylized male violence. Walter Hill, the director and co-writer, specializes in fables like this. His first two films were Hard Times and The Driver, and they were both at arm's length from realism. Hill likes characters that take on a legendary, mythic stature, and then he likes to run them through situations like an urban tableau. Hard Times, a good and interesting film, starred Charles Bronson as a professional street fistfighter who went up against opponents with all the dimensions of a James Bond villain. The driver didn't even have names for its characters, they were described by their functions, and they behaved towards each other in a strangely formal, rehearsed, unspontaneous ways. The Warriors takes that style to such an extreme that almost all life and juice are drained from it. 
There's great vitality and energy, and choreography and stunt coordination, in many violent scenes of gang fights and run-ins with the cops. But when the characters talk, they seem to be inhabiting a tale rehearsed many times before. One example, three members of a street gang are lined up in a row. The camera regards the first one. He speaks. The camera pans to the second, and he speaks. The camera pans to the third. He speaks. Because the movement of the camera dictates the order and timing of the speeches, there can be no illusion that the characters are talking as their words occur to them. The same kind of stiff stylization dominates the film. The street gangs take stances toward each other as if they were figures in a medieval print. The deployment of the police and gang forces is plainly impossible on any realistic level. People move into their symbolic places with such perfectly timed choreography that they must be telepathic. And the chase scenes are plainly impossible, as in one extended shot showing the warriors outrunning a rival gang's school bus. All of this is no doubt Walter Hill's intention. I suppose he has an artistic vision he's working towards in this film, and in his work. He chooses to meticulously ban human spontaneity from his films. He allows only a handful of shallow women characters into his stories. He reduces male conduct to ritualized violence. And in The Warriors, he chooses, with a few exceptions, to cast against type. Only three or four of the movie's characters look and sound like plausible street gang members. The rest look and sound like male models for the currently fashionable advertising photography combining high fashion and rough trade. All very well, I suppose, except that Paramount chooses to advertise the movie as a violent action picture. And action audiences, I suspect, will find it either incomprehensible or laughable. Walter Hill has a considerable visual skill, and he knows what he's doing in The Warriors, and he does it well. But is the style suited to this material? And does Hill have other notes to play? All three of his films have shown a certain skittishness in the face of human juices and the unrehearsed flow of life. And so his street gangs and his movies walk lockstep through the sterile streets. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So as I've mentioned in the past, some of Ebert's reviews that I disagree with often have to do with the age he was when he reviewed the film in question. And that's not to say he couldn't be objective, but this really wasn't a film for someone in their late 30s or early 40s like Ebert was in 1979. This was a film for teenagers who wanted something grittier than a Disney teen film or something that was on television at the time. And that's part of the reason this film does hold up well, as we'll get into when it comes to the gangs themselves or how they're portrayed in sort of a dark, gritty fantasy film. Now, Walter Hill would go on to direct a few films that I really enjoyed in the 1980s, like 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte and Streets of Fire and Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor and John Candy, Crossroads, of course, Ralph Macchio beating Steve Vai in a guitar battle, and Red Heat with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jim Belushi. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. Producer Lawrence Gordon was looking for ideas for his next film, and he was looking at books in a discount paperback rack and came across a novel with no cover from 1965 written by Saul Yurick, and it was called The Warriors. Gordon ended up calling the publisher and then optioned the rights to the book with his own funds. Gordon then sent the book to director Walter Hill and asked if he was interested. Hill said yes, as he was interested in the chase plot and the simplicity of the story. And even Yurik's story was based on Greek mythology called Anabasis, from the Greek writer Xenophon. And just like the main plot of the warriors, after a specific arduous battle, this group of Greek warriors found themselves far from home and then had to fight their way back to their homeland. 
Hill wasn't sure if the script that Gordon had from David Shaber would lend itself to having top-name actors in the film. Instead, they had initially planned on shooting a Western, but at the last minute, the financial backers pulled out, leaving them unable to shoot the film. Gordon believed he had an in with Paramount if Hill was interested in immediately shooting the Warriors' script, and then Hill agreed. Hill had originally wanted all the characters to either be black or Hispanic, but the studio didn't think that would be commercially viable enough and pushed for more of a comic book feel to the film, which is why the Warriors turned out the way it did. Casting was difficult, as the actors were mostly going to be all unknown, plus they had to be able to withstand the physical nature of the roles and also be able to act. Thousands of young unknown actors came to audition, all from New York. Walter encouraged Bobby Mannix, the costume designer, to get crazier with her costume designs. The stranger and more offbeat, the better. And much of these ideas came to fruition on screen. Since the film was low budget, and there were five or so other films being filmed in New York at the time, it was really a challenge to hire a crew for the Warriors. One of the assistant directors was relieved of their duties, and an assistant director from Los Angeles was brought in to take over. At the time, it was believed that someone from Los Angeles could not handle shooting in New York due to the attitude of the crew and the difficulty of location shooting. Plus, everything had to be filmed in the middle of the night or early morning. Obviously, the assistant director did fine, and the Warriors came out looking great. In addition, the film crew had to be cognizant of shooting on location to avoid the real street gangs that were around in certain areas, which meant many meetings with the police to determine where and where not to shoot. Plus, they had to have a good relationship with the Transit Authority because many of the key scenes from the film were subway shots. Alright, let's get into the film. I'm going to discuss the director's cut. Uh, this is the version of the film that I know best, and that's the version I own. So the film begins almost like a comic book, and throughout the film you will get these comic-like interludes between scenes. These are the director's cut inclusions, and actually what Walter Hill originally intended. You then get the text saying, Over two millenniums ago, an army of Greek soldiers found themselves isolated in the middle of the Persian Empire. 1,000 miles from safety, 1,000 miles from the sea. 1,000 miles with enemies on all sides. Theirs was a story of desperate forced march. Theirs was a story of courage. This, too, is a story of courage, sometime in the future. We then cut to New York City in quote-unquote modern times. This would be 1979. We then get a six-minute intro showcasing all of the different gangs from the Bronx to Brooklyn. The first gang showcase are, of course, the Warriors from Coney Island, as they head to a gathering led by Cyrus, the head of the most powerful gang around. They then take the subway to Van Cortlandt Park, Every gang in the city is expected to be at this summit at midnight. Next, we see the boppers out of Harlem, who dress in all purple fedoras and vests. They kind of look like a doo-wop act. Then we see the hi-hats, who are dressed like mimes with red shirts and suspenders with, of course, Abraham Lincoln hi-hats. Then we see the panzers, who are dressed like guerrilla military operatives based in Washington Heights. Then we see the Colt 45s, who basically wear blue jeans and try to scare locals. <laughs> The Savage Huns are from Chinatown in Manhattan and wear green outfits and brown hats. The Gladiators are sort of like the Colt 45s in their outfits, and we only see them going through the subway turnstiles with their subway tokens. The Electric Eliminators wear bright yellow bomber jackets, almost like bowling jackets. The Boyle Avenue Runners wear plain black outfits that have a red trim. The Leader also wears a jacket with black and white detailing. The Moon Runners wear silver jackets based in Pelham in the Bronx. The Saracens are a rival gang of the Jones Street Boys and are based in Bensonhurst. 
They wear minimal outfits, which are plain black with a white edge trim. Now, during the montage between seeing the aforementioned gangs, we constantly return to the subway car with the Warriors and random sidebar conversation between the guys. You never know what you're going to run into out there. If we're wearing our colors, we can't hide. Who wants to hide? get-together? Meeting some strange wolf. I wouldn't mind laying a little something down on the way back. You got a one-track brain, you know that? What's the matter? You going faggot? What do you know about Cyrus? Magic. Whole lot of magic. What do you know about Cyrus? He's the one and only. When you're president of the biggest gang in the city, you don't have to take any shit. Ah, uh, fuck him. Once there, the entire park is packed with all the various gangs from town waiting to hear Cyrus, played by Roger Hill, speak. Interestingly enough, a real gang member was originally cast to play the role of Cyrus. But after initially being hired, when the casting director tried to find the guy, he had completely disappeared. They never did find out what happened to him. Hence the reason Roger Hill was cast as Cyrus. And actually, I can't imagine a better person playing Cyrus or delivering this speech. here before us. We've got the Saracens sitting next to the Jones Street boys. We've got the Moonrunners right by the Van Cortlandt Rangers. Nobody is wasting nobody. That is a miracle. And miracles is the way things ought to be. You're standing right now with nine delegates from a hundred gangs. And there's over a hundred more. That's 20,000 hardcore members, 40,000 counting affiliates, 
and 20,000 more not organized, but ready to fight. 60,000 soldiers. Now there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? allowing it to happen. You can tax the crime syndicates, the police, because we got the streets, suckers! Can you dig it? against one another. We have been unable to see the truth because we have been fighting for 10 square feet of ground. Our turf. Our little piece of turf. That's crap, brothers. The turf is ours by right because it's our turn. All we have to do is keep up the general truce. We take over one borough at a time. Secure our territory. Secure our turf. Because it's all our turf. played by David Patrick Kelly, is the leader of the rogues, and he shoots Cyrus. 
Fox, who is part of the Warriors, sees Luther in the act of shooting while everyone else flees the scene. And by the way, the actor who plays Fox is named Thomas G. Waits, and you might know him from the Al Pacino movie and Justice for All. He plays the character Jeff McCullough, the client who can never catch a break from the corrupt judge. Before Luther can also shoot Fox, the police arrive on the scene and cast spotlights temporarily blinds Luther. Mass chaos ensues and everyone tries to scatter. In the meantime, knowing that Fox saw him shoot Cyrus, Luther frames the warriors as the shooters of Cyrus. Cleon, played by Dorsey Wright from The Warriors, fights off a number of people, but is outnumbered and overwhelmed, and eventually beaten to death by the Rifts. So the riot scene was incredibly challenging to film, as you had hundreds of extras trying to basically recreate a riot. The assistant director decided to have one large group of kids in a circle run clockwise, and another group run counterclockwise to recreate the scene without potentially having injuries occur. It's actually really well done. The rest of the warriors get away and hide out temporarily in a graveyard, but now they are far from their turf in Coney Island, and they are being hunted by all the gangs in York, along with the cops. The other problem that the warriors have, now that Cleon is out of the picture, they don't have a leader. Swan, played by Michael Beck, is essentially second in command, but Ajax, played by James Remar, thinks it very highly of himself and challenges Swan's authority. I only got one question. Who named you leader? I got as much right to take over as you. It was Cleon's choice, Swan's war chief. Oh, right about now, Cleon's most likely got a nightstick shoved halfway up his ass. <laughs> Shit. I bet you can't even find the subway. Maybe we ought to talk about this later, huh? Well, what's wrong with right now? I want to be warlord. Make you move. Hey, Ajax, lighten up. Big boy, Swan's war chief. We better stick together. Hey, you guys, train's right over there. Next, we cut to Gramercy Park and the Gramercy Riffs. The Riffs were the biggest gang in New York and led by Cyrus.
There must be some word. I want them all. I want all the warriors. I want them alive if possible, if not wasted. But I want them. Send the word. By sending the word, this essentially means broadcasting over the radio since a network of gangs seem to have their own radio network. Yes, today it would be a Reddit thread or some lame social media post. Radio stations are much more badass and I think official. Plus, the female disc jockey plays this role perfectly. Alright now, for all you bompers out there in the big city... All you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney. And I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind. As the song says, the Warriors have nowhere to hide with all the gangs and police after them. We also get the first glimpse of the Baseball Furies, who of course are the coolest looking gang of them all. They're dressed up in baseball uniforms with New York Yankees pinstripes, and their faces are painted wielding baseball bats. We are also introduced to the Turnbull ACs, who travel around in a green school bus based in the Bronx. This is the first gang the Warriors must evade in order to try to make their train. The Warriors race down the street while the AC's bus is hot on their tail. Of course, Ajax can't help but taunt the AC's by flipping them off as they head up the stairs to their subway train. The Warriors do make their train in the nick of time before the AC's can get on. So the Warriors think that they're home free, but you know this would be a terrible movie if that was true. And of course, their train is stopped due to a building fire and they can't pass. So it's back on foot for the Warriors. And the next gang they run into are the Orphans, who, according to Fox, are so low in the rung, nobody even acknowledges them. Hey. You know where that cat's headed, don't you? Yeah, reinforcements. We're gonna get jabbed here. We're gonna get jabbed. No matter what he says, nobody lip off. Nobody get hot. I'm gonna see what I can do. When did you turn into a fucking diplomat? Yeah, you ain't exactly the State Department type. Fox, you come with me. Maybe you ought to show me your invitation. How do you figure? Well, you come all me and down here, invading our territory. No permits, no parley. We're not invading, and I'm parlaying right now. We were just at that big meeting up in the Bronx. We're going home to Coney. The train gets messed up by the fire and dumps us here. I don't know what you're talking about, man. How could this be a big meeting if the orphans wasn't there? Listen, you didn't miss anything. There was a lot of hassle, a lot of heads got busted. Hey, you think the orphans ain't with it? You, you think the orphans ain't well known? We didn't say that. Well, we got a heavy rep. You mess with us and you'll find that out. 
You see that? They write about our raids in the paper. Yeah. That's really heavy. The orphans, right? Yeah, a youth for because she talks about you guys all the time. We ain't got one. Well, that must be because you guys are so bad they're afraid of you. There's nothing wrong with you making it through our territory as long as you're coming in peace. Cut it, Mercy. <laughs> you know what that is, don't you? Yeah. Trouble. Those vests are real nice. Lighten up, Mercy. Stop looking for trouble now. Should have slapped your mouth the minute you opened it. So who stopped you? Come on, give me one. Just one. I just want one vest. You can get another one, man. No chance. Are you just gonna let an army walk through here anytime they feel like it? How's it gonna look? Get lost. And pretty soon every gang's just gonna boogie right in. Soldier right through. I'll tell you. What a man you are. Take your colors off, you can walk through. We don't do that. It's just our mark. It don't mean we're at war. You go as civilians, okay? You go as soldiers, I gotta come down on you. Now take off your colors. Hey, you hear me? Fuck you. We are not gonna hide who we are just because some whore shakes our ass. Don't call me no whore. I ain't no whore. Let's go. We're marching down to the next station. Right through these lame fucks' territory. Now let's move. Yeah, that's right, warriors. Just keep walking. Real tough mothers, ain't you? You guys don't show me much. Why don't you dickheads just walk all the way back home, huh? Yep, always one bad apple to soil the whole damn bunch. In this case, Mercy, played by Deborah Van Valkenburg. And she was the turd in the punch bowl as the orphans didn't want any trouble until Mercy started in on them. Instead of just walking away, Mercy then follows the warriors and eventually the orphans aren't far behind. To escape, the warriors throw a Molotov cocktail into the car, which gives them the diversion to get away, along with Mercy, who has decided to tag along with the warriors. They end up making their next train, though it takes forever to take off. Instead, they end up getting chased off by the police throughout the station. 
The warriors split up throughout the station in trying to evade the police. Fox and Mercy happen to be together until one cop tackles Fox. Mercy gets away, but Fox ends up getting thrown onto the track, and he's killed by a train. Vermin, Cochise, and Rembrandt make their train and escape, but Swan, Ajax, Snow, and Cowboy need to continue on foot. Unfortunately, they also have to deal with the Baseball Furies and their Louisville Sluggers. By the way, this seems like a missed opportunity because they really should have had nine, at least nine guys in the gang, since that's the official amount of players on the field for a ball club when the game is in play. I could never get an official count, but it should be nine. In any case, the Warriors end up battling the Furies in Riverside Park. and turn you into a popsicle. Come on. news off the street boppers the baseball furies dropped the ball made an error our friends are on second base and trying to make it all the way home but the inside word is that the odds are against them stay tuned boppers stay tuned the fight with the baseball furies was shot to be like a classic samurai fight and the actors hired to be the furies all had gymnastic backgrounds to add sort of the athleticism to the fights and at the time, they didn't have a lot of stunt people to choose from in New York, so they had to be creative with their choices. Vermin, Cochise, and Rembrandt end up at Union Station and meet an all-female gang, the Lizzies. Back to the other warriors, Ajax tries to then pick up a woman hanging out in the park instead of staying with the other guys. And it goes about as well as you could expect. You want to show me how you play with the chicks? Yeah. Show you how I play. 
Hey, so rough. Come on. Get it on. Oh, you don't get it. I like it rough. Your nights in the park are over for a while, honey. You're under arrest. Hey, lady. Come on, lady. Kiss my ass. Come on, lady. Around. You don't want to play around with me. Let me out of this thing. You hear me? God damn it. You let me go. Let me go. You can't do this to me. You lost bitch. So the female officer was played by Mercedes Rule. Now you might remember her as the mom in the movie Big with Tom Hanks. She was the mom when Josh Baskin was a kid. Anyway, Ajax is arrested, and honestly the Warriors are better off without him as he gets in them into more trouble than they really need at this point. Also a fun fact, this was the scene that James Remar read for his audition. While the reading was for a part in a conference room, he had attached himself to a very heavy table and during the reading basically picked up the huge table that the producers were sitting at. And so his brute strength impressed them and he basically landed the part of Ajax right then and there. Now some fans even today are upset about Ajax's demise by being arrested, but there had to sort of be a morality around his behavior because as much as he's revered by some, his actions were eventually going to lead him down the path of having to pay for his actions, especially considering he was likely going to rape the woman on the park bench. Swan ends up running into Mercy at the subway station, but they end up having to run away from the cops. All the while, Vermin, Cochise, and Rembrandt have no idea what trouble they're in with the Lizzie's. And of course, the inevitable happens with Swan and Mercy while they're escaping together. The obligatory makeout scene. It's not really a necessary part of the film, but it is what it is. Swan ends up leaving Mercy as he's more annoyed by her than anything. So going back to the Lizzie's, the great part about the Lizzie scene is that it gives a break to the constant running from the Warriors. But you know it won't last, but it's a great ebb and flow of the plot. Eventually, the Lizzie's ambush the guys, believing that the Warriors shot Cyrus. The Lizzie's end up shooting and trying to stab the guys before they escape the loft. Rembrandt is slashed badly on his arm, but they all do escape. Back at Union Station, the remaining Warriors all meet up, with the exception of Swan. Eventually, the Warriors do find Swan, but they have to deal with the Punks, a gang who wear overalls and roller skates. <laughs> Mercy happens to turn up as well. This leads to another awesome battle in, in the bathroom of all places. Perfect for a gang brawl. To me, this is the best choreographed fight scene in the movie, in, in, at least in my opinion. The great use of slow motion as well. It's not overused like all the bullshit in today's superhero and action films. Besides beating the punks, things are also looking up for the Warriors as we find out that an informant has potentially told the Gramercy Riffs of the real shooter of Cyrus. 
The Warriors arrive home to Coney Island in the morning along with Mercy, and of course, we get one of the most famous lines in the film, and movie history for that matter, during the inevitable standoff with the Rogues. Wait a couple of seconds after we move, then cut out the other way. Why can't I stay with you? Just do what I tell you, okay? Come on, I can take care of myself. I proved that. Come on. Stay behind me. I'm gonna take him out to the sand. What about you? You ready? Let's do it. Luther is the perfect villain and such a tweaker, man. <laughs> Whatever depths he took to get into that character, it's perfect. And the whole Warriors come out to play line, that came from Spur of the Moment. Director Walter Hill felt there needed to be a taunting vibe to the scene with Luther and the Rogues. And David Patrick Kelly used his past experiences living in a rough neighborhood in New York with one shady guy in particular who used to taunt him with, Dave, Dave. So he used that same creepy tone in the film. Also, David found the short neck beer bottles that were sold near the pier and then used those in his taunts by clanking them together. It was just perfect. It all came together perfectly. Also, staying true to his method acting, David Patrick Kelly did not speak to any of the Warriors the entire time on set during the filming until the final confrontation scene at the end. Alright, so what happens in the end? Now, I'm sure there are a few that haven't seen this film, so I can't spoil it, but it is a satisfying ending, I will say. Look, this is a classic movie for teenagers for a reason, and incredibly gritty for a teen film. The fight scenes are incredibly well done, and the pacing of the film is terrific. If you haven't seen it yet, I of course highly recommend it, especially if you dig movies from the late 70s and early 80s. Plus, the movie ends with In the City from Joe Walsh, which is a fabulous track and written for the film, since Joe Walsh was friends with the composer of the score, Barry Dvorzen. The song eventually was recorded by the Eagles, after the film was released. There were some deleted scenes, of course, one being the original opening in the daytime in Coney Island. 
but they felt the daytime opening didn't make sense for a predominantly nighttime film. I know a lot of you aren't too happy about going out on patrol. Just remember this. Out of a street family of 120 plus affiliates, you were chosen for this expedition. And that makes you special. Now here's the lineup. Swan, second in command, war chief. Stay by me. Snowball, you're the music man. Cowboy, soldier the middle. Furman, you're the bear. You carry the tokens and the bread. Rembrandt, you got the stuff? Now I want you to hit everything in the city. I want the people to know that the warriors were there. They'll just slow us down. Ajax, you just soldier and try and keep your mouth shut. Fox, scout and memory man, run ahead and tell us all we need to know. Cochise, Ajax, soldier the middle, heavy muscle. Now just remember this, there's a truce on, so don't go flexing any muscle unless I give the order. Okay, let's roll. And you might be wondering of the names of the other gangs listed in the original script that either barely had screen time or just didn't make the final cut. They would be the Hurricanes, which were based in Spanish Harlem, briefly shown at the Cyrus Summit. The Jones Street Boys, they were shown at the summit with bumblebee striped shirts. The Satan Mothers were a motorcycle gang shown at the summit. And then the Van Cortland Rangers, they wore fedoras and striped shirts. All right, now I have a long list, so bear with me. It's worth it. Uh, These were the names of the other gangs that were in the original script, but didn't actually make the final cut. So get ready. The Alley Cats, the Amsterdam All-Stars, the Black Hands, the Black Jacks, the Big Trains, the Charlemagnes, the Dealers, the Delaney Rovers, the Dingoes. Now, the Dingoes are interesting because they were a homosexual gang. Uh, and Rivals of the Warriors, uh, did, they did play a part in the original script when they captured one of the Warriors, but then that scene was ultimately cut. You have the E Street Shufflers, the Easy Aces, the A Street Apaches, the Fastballs, the Fifth Street Bombers, the Fillmores, the Fire Tasters, the Five Points, the Gerards, the Gohards, the Gunhill Dancers, the Homeboys, the Hoplites, the Howitzers, the High Rollers, the Hucks, the Imps, the Jesters, the Judas Bunch, the Jupiters, the Knockdowns, the Knuckles, the Locos, the Magicians, the Meat Packers, the Napoleons, the Nickel Stakes, the Knight Riders, the Ninth Avenue Razors, the Phillies, the Plainsmen, the Queensbridge Mutilators, that's a great one, the Real Boys, the Red Hook Shooters, the Roadmasters, the Romans, the Runaways, the Saratogas, the Shanghai Sultans, that's a good one, the Southern Cross, the Speedwagons, the Stevedores, the Stilettos, the Stonebreakers, the Terriers, the Turks, the Whispers, the Wizards, the Xenophones, the Youngbloods, the Yo-Yos, the Zodiacs, and the Zulus. Alright, some fun facts. Deborah Van Valkenburg, who of course played Mercy, she broke her wrist while filming, and they had to shoot her around her cast, which is the reason that later in the film she's wearing a jean jacket. She mentions the quote-unquote stolen coat when Swan questions her. Now, originally, Mercy and Fox were supposed to be the romantic item, not Mercy and Swan. But the filmmakers saw the on-screen chemistry between Deborah and Michael Beck, and so they adjusted the romantic angle. Which is also why Fox and Mercy are together in the subway, and Fox is killed. And why Mercy gets away, and there isn't a chance for them to be together. 
during the Coney Island scenes, the actors for the Warriors had to take off their colors because if the real gang from Coney Island were around, uh, there could be trouble and they didn't want a conflict. Now, Orson Welles was originally going to be the film's narrator, especially in the beginning scene, but those plans unfortunately fell through. Even though the critics panned the film at the time, younger audiences loved the film and word of mouth started to spread and the film uh, was taking off. But then there were a few violent incidents during the screenings that gained negative publicity and some folks were afraid they would be attacked if they attended the film. Now, certain gangs were indeed attracted to this film, of course, but they were one-offs, not the norm. But the studio panicked and started pulling marketing for the film, unfortunately. So while the film now is considered a late 70s classic, it could have done much better at the time if Paramount hadn't panicked and pulled the film from theaters instead of letting it have its full run. Interestingly enough, President Ronald Reagan was a fan of the film, even calling the film's lead actor Michael Beck to tell him that he had screened it at Camp David and enjoyed it. Man, he should have called Paramount instead and told him to stick with the film. Paramount wanted to cast Tony Danza in the role of Vermin. The actor that got the role sort of looks like Richie Sambora. And shortly after, Danza was cast on the TV series Taxi. Speaking of Vermin, he was scripted to be killed by the Lizzies, but Terry Mikos, who played Vermin, made his character so comical and made it so memorable and got more on-screen appearances in the movie, which totally worked, and that's why his death scene was eventually taken out. The film trucks were quote-unquote protected by a real gang called the Mongrels for $500 a day. Robert De Niro was asked to be cowboy, but he passed on the role. All right, we have a special guest. It is the great Ralph Vieira, of course, from the Vieira Vault podcast, of course, from the Almost Human YouTube page, which is incredibly popular, and he, he's always posting great videos weekly. And then, of course, he has the Dr. Fuck show on ThatMetalStation.com every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. He joins me to talk about one of his favorite movies of the late 70s because he was the perfect age when this came out. He was a teenager. So we have a great discussion with Ralph, and I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Well, it's been far too long. I think it's been over a year, but it doesn't matter because these these episodes are evergreen. We have Ralph Vieira back, Dr. Fuck, who, of course, you know from the Almost Human page on YouTube, his amazing Vieira vault with, actually, it's almost kind of like his co-host, Will Carroll from Death Angel, uh, who has been on many episodes lately. And then, of course, the Dr. Fuck show on ThatMetalStation.com, which you can hear every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back, Ralph. Hey, smack him a god, Brian. You know you're one of my favorite people ever. You know that, right? Well, th- I, I I do now, and uh, and my mom is is one of your uh, favorites because uh, you know she often like when is Ralph going to be back on? When is Ralph? Well, <laughs> we're awesome. going to talk about the Warriors. So yes, he's he's back on, and uh, I've been really looking forward to this because uh, I've always been looking for movies that would be perfect for you, and uh, and we I knew once I hit the Warriors that uh, this was kind of a no brainer for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is a movie that I saw in the theater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of controversy at the time. Right. And I, I, I could be wrong. Well, maybe you would know this, even mm-hmm. though you're much younger than me and you weren't around back then, right? Right. I, I was uh, born in 78. So, yeah, I was. All old. right. So you were, you were like three years old or something. Like <laughs> yeah. that. But I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that it was pulled from the theater. It was. It absolutely ah. was. And so, yeah, yeah you, you read my mind. So the, the first question I had for you was, did you see it in the theater? And you did. And, and did you love it immediately? Or was this kind of like a slow burner for you? No, right away. Okay. It was like one of the greatest movies I ever saw at that time. 
I got it got me so fired up because you know I mean I was fifteen. Mm-hmm. I, I was when was it? Nineteen eighty, right? Uh, Seventy nine. Yep. All right, I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and you know, fourteen, fifteen is was the most rebellious years of my life. Right. You know, and you know, I thought my parents sucked because I was an idiot, <laughs> and and but seeing this movie, you know, was so rebellious. And, you know, you know, same thing with Over the Edge. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, absolutely. Have you ever done an episode on that? No, but when I do, you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fill me in that episode, because I got a lot to say about that. But Over the Edge and Warriors Mm -hmm. were very rebellious. Uh, You know, you look at the Warriors and they're heroes. Yes. You know, you look at them, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, even the, the baseball furies, they're all heroes. But now that I'm grown up, they're all scumbags. (laughs) including the warriors (laughs) including the warriors that's right it's like dude get a job stop (laughs) fighting people fuck your turf yeah the fuck it's everybody's turf we're all citizens we're all people you know what i mean but back then it was different so seeing it in theater for the first time i was blown away and yeah that's why i was i'm a little hazy but i believe i wanted to see it again in theater and it was pulled that's my vague memory of it but then they gave it on hbo so yeah, so it kind of had a new life. So, yeah, they were worried about gang violence in the family. There were some outbreaks there. And so that was one of my questions. I, it, did you remember either hearing about the violence or was there any violence? Yes, in any of the I did. In Florida? Okay. I did. I No, no, not in Florida. Mm-hmm. It, it might have happened in Florida, but I vividly remember news reports of New York. Right. Uh, gangs in New York, and I think maybe L.A. too, um, breaking out in fights in the actual theater during the movie. Right. So, they, you know, and that... I think, you know, started the snowball effect of banning it in every theater. My Well, my memory was they banned it in New York and L.A., but then I was thinking, well, I kind of vaguely remember wanting to see it again, and it was pulled from the theater. And I know it was a hit. Yes. So, you know, there was a movie around at the same time, filmed at the same time, called The Wanderers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that movie? I've heard of it, yeah. Uh, it's a great movie, too. That's, a, that's one I would highly recommend. I like The Warriors more. But they were both filmed at the same time. And it was about gangs, too, you know? It's mm-hmm. uh, the Duckies, I think they were called. Which oh, yeah, Ace, Ken, Ken Wall and Karen Allen, yes. Which Ace Fraley was a member of the Duckies when he was ah. a little kid. He was actually a member of the, of the Duckies. In the he Bronx. Definitely. Yeah. So I know, I know you were born in – how long were you in New York for when you were um, when you were Eight a kid? Eight years. I, okay. I was born in 1965, and we left in 73. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, I remember vividly the cold, how much I hated it, you know, and then, you know, I see a lot of people, you know, when I'm, I'm bragging about how much I love the floor. And then when I talk about when it gets cold down here and I bitch, people are like, you don't know what cold is. I was like, (laughs) yes, I do. (laughs) Oh yeah. My first eight years, I would sit in my house, dude, and look out the window, watch my brother build snowmen, have snowball fights. I would never go out. I was a pussy when it came to the cold. We came to Miami Beach on a vacation, and I mm-hmm. begged my dad, let's live here, mm-hmm. you know? And it worked. And, and dude, it gets super hot down here. Sure. I mean, super – it's hot now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it. I'm like a lizard, man. I, I, the heat doesn't bother me. Getting sweaty doesn't bother me because I love that shower afterwards. I turn on the AC, I'm fine. But, man, the cold, I can't go outside. My hands physically hurt even in Florida cold. Wow. And I'm talking since a teenager. It's not uh-huh. like – you know, I got some weird condition when it comes to my hands in the cold, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I've lived in New York. But I lived in New York State, which is okay. Terrytown. Wait, it was in the city. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrytown is a very peaceful little town. That's where Sleepy Hollow is located. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. Where Ichabod Crane, I mean, there's a, a right. Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow, um, <clears throat> there's Sleepy Hollow Forest where they actually have a statue of the Hellas Horseman in there. Right. And when I was a little kid, they, uh, when I was living in Terrytown, Disney had an animated movie on the Headless Horseman. Right. And they animated my town. You saw my <laughs> school. You saw my church. You saw the little park in front of the school. All of it, they animated perfectly. And it's pretty surreal when you're a little kid watching your hometown in cartoon form. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was pretty damn awesome. It was awesome. I'd love to see that movie again. i never seen it since I was a kid. How long were your parents in, in New York? When did they did they immediately go from from Cuba to New York, or did they yes. go somewhere else? Okay. No, uh, they. My dad came here, mm-hmm. uh, went straight to Terrytown, worked as a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and uh, saved money, and then went back to Cuba, got married to my mom, and then brought her back here. Okay. And this was in 56, 57. Okay. And they're mm-hmm. both still with us. God bless them. I know. Did your dad actually think about moving to Florida or was it all you kind of like really kind it of was, pushing it? it? It was me and my mom. Okay. Me and my mom wanted to come to Florida and my brother and my dad were the holdout. But, you know, hey, thank God my dad's whipped. <laughs> it worked you out know? perfectly. <laughs> I don't think I could have done it alone, man. You know, I'm like <laughs> a fucking, you know, eight year old, seven year old bitching, you know. Right. But, um, yeah. So so. In the end, you know, it was my mom that did it. And, you know, he did that damn good for himself. You know, my dad sure. did the right move. You know, he when we came to Florida, he became a gardener. Right. And uh, he would cut grass every day. And then on the weekends, he would make me and my brother go with him to mm-hmm. cut these, you know, lawns at Winn-Dixie and all that shit. It sure. was hard, fucking brutal work. And then, you know, at night I go to my dad, Pop, you know, I mean. God, I bust my ass. Ain't you going to give me any money? And my dad would point at the roof. He goes, that's your money right there. Exactly. And you yep. see what you're eating? That's that's your pay. Yep. And I was like, you bastard. But <laughs> he installed that work ethic in me. Right. Where I didn't become afraid of work. Where I know people I grew up with that are miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't like working. I, I, I Man, I loved working. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm retired now. but And because of the COVID, I was telling you this off the air. Sure. Um, because of the COVID, I can't really go out there and work, but I miss it. I want to I want to be an Uber Eats driver. I want to do anything to occupy my time with, you know, adding my pension check. But I, sure. I'm retired, but I don't want to be, you know, not working. You know, mm-hmm. I want to start doing stuff. So once this COVID shit's over, I'm going to be out there doing shit, you know, because I love working. But, you know, as I was telling you, I'm very busy at home. Oh, yeah. Know? I make countless videos for my YouTube channels now over 20,000 subscribers and I've gained like, I don't know, six, seven, 8,000 since the COVID hit this year. It boomed a lot because yep. I'm constantly putting up content because I'm constantly home, you know? <laughs> so that work ethic kind of shines through because you are, I mean, as, as we mentioned, you have so many different uh, uh, devices to get your content out, which is, which is awesome. And uh, so one of the things I, I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you've ever talked about this or if it's ever been uh, broached is, so when you were in Florida or when you were growing up, were you ever approached to be in a gang or were there any gangs uh, in the town you were you grew no, up in? OK, no, there were no gangs. There were gangs in Miami but mm-hmm. I lived in a town called Hialeah. And mm-hmm. then I moved to Miami Beach. Both are gang free. 
And I don't even think there's gangs anymore, to tell you the truth, in Miami. I haven't heard about it. I okay. remember back in the day there were gangs in Miami. But it was nothing to the extent of, you know, the, the Crips and the Bloods and, and the mm-hmm. New York-type gangs. I, I don't think there was a huge amount of gangs in Miami, but there were gangs. Because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, seeing reports on gang fights and this and that. But it was nothing compared to the Warriors. Right, you know? right. So we'll, we'll get right into it. The obvious question is, who is your favorite gang? And then who is your least favorite? All right. Now, I'm glad you asked me this. Okay. Because it's going to, it's going to, I don't know if I'm going to say the right word here. Coalition? Is that Mm -hmm. the word that, that, something that matches? All right. Yeah. You're a Star Wars fan? A a little bit. Not not huge, but yeah. Well, I'll tell you something that really perplexes me about Star Wars. And I know a lot of Star Wars listeners that are right now listening are going to get upset over what I'm saying. But I don't get Boba Fett. (laughs) Boba Fett was clumsy. Uh He fell in a fucking hole. He didn't do shit. Mm -hmm. And he's like this huge character of Star Wars. Well, I feel the same way about the Warriors. My favorite gang in the Warriors didn't do shit. But they were badass looking. Right. The baseball furies, man. I yeah. just love the way they looked. I mean, only one baseball fury got to hit some guy with a bat. The rest of them got their ass kicked. Exactly. <laughs> but they were just so cool. Look, I actually have a baseball fury shirt. You know, I love them. I just love the way they looked. And my least favorite would be, uh, and, and even though it's kind of funny, though, they're kind of funny and, and amusing and entertaining, were the orphans. See yeah. what happens to warriors. See what happens when you mess with the orphans. And they, they throw a fucking Molotov cocktail, and that's it. That's the end of them. <laughs> at a car. Not even at them. They throw at the car, and, and that's it. They got away from them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the, the orphans were the one where they were basically the, the girl, Mercy, was the one that kind of baiting them. They didn't yeah. really want any trouble. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The guy's like, all right, you, you leave in peace. You can go. And then she's like, ah, pa, pa, pa. You know, and I got I got to bring this up. Sure. The, the, the part of the Warriors that really perplexes me mm-hmm. is after this chick does this, you know, she's trouble. Oh, I mean, absolutely. They even say it when she walks out there. You know what that means? Trouble. <laughs> they already know this. This chick is trouble. And what do they do? They grab her and take her with her. <laughs> they yeah. Take her. Why do they take her with them? <laughs> it, it, it just boggles my mind. It's like, dude, do not. I'd rather take one of the orphans with me. <laughs> than her, you know? They They'll be more loyal. You know? She was, I mean, she was just extra weight, you know? It's like, why Why are you bringing her along, you know? That always perplexed me about the movie. It's like, why are you taking her? Well, I think I think that's where Hollywood gets in in the plot writing, where yeah. you need some sort of uh, female, uh, you know, presence because you have to you don't want this to be completely male dominated and uh and then i think they totally shoehorned in the the mercy romance with with swan how, how did you feel about that one well it you know what it, it, it to to escape reality i liked it okay you know it, it was it was nice to have like you know them like making out and i thought all right all right cool like a little love story here you know but uh, you know, again, I'm still pissed that they took her with her, but at least there was a little reasoning toward the end. But um, yeah, I, I, I and I like her. Don't get me wrong. I, I know she was a pain in the ass and everything, but I thought she was a good character in the movie. And it's sure. good that they brought her along because, you know, mm-hmm. to have her give her more screen time was cool. But at the same time, it's like the logic of them grabbing her. 
Yeah. You know, made no sense to me, you know? Well, and then she ends up, she does actually have redeeming qualities, which was nice. And I always thought that doing some research about this, what I found interesting was originally it was supposed to be Mercy and Fox that were the romantic item, but they, her and the actor had no chemistry on screen. And and, uh, uh, with uh, the actor that Michael Beck, who played Swan, they actually had a a chemistry. And so they decided to change it up in the script. It worked. Yeah, I, th- I thought it worked. OK, so did you ever think there should have been a sequel to this? If there was a sequel, what kind of uh, plot would, would you take it? And I know they're always talking about a remake. Do you think they should do a remake of this? No, I mean, but it probably will happen because I know that the remake will have like, you know, nothing against hip hop, but mm-hmm. it'll have like a hip hop type videos, bling bling stuff. And sure. And it'll it'll. It was made at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. You know, New York was still slummy. Yes. You know, it's all fit. You know, you go in Times Square now, it doesn't look like Taxi Driver. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. uh, but, but back then, you know, it was there was a dark grit about New York that it's not really there anymore. And if you do bring it to modern times, how New York is now, it wouldn't be appealing to me. But it wouldn't be appealing to today's youth. So I guess, you know, okay, fine, put it out for them. But at the same time, I think it'll flop. Yeah. You know, I don't think it'll it'll have the same effect the original Warriors had. And do, so if if did you want a sequel to this? Uh, well, maybe back in the day, I right, would have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would have with the same actors and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the same people involved in making it. Uh, I wouldn't mind to see something where it would go from there. But I would like it to be a sequel, not a prequel. Like right. what would happen to the Warriors next? I mean, you have to come up with a plot where everybody's after the Warriors again. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe like, you know, work in a plot, work in a part where actually somebody in the Warriors did do something fucked up and it'll right. be legit going after them. Mm-hmm. You know, then that would be more appealing. You know, they, like, let's say the Warriors like hired some scumbag that was a two face and he ended up killing some gang leader and shit behind their back. You know, right. And they're trying to fight their way out of it, saying, dude, we had nothing to do with that. Fuck you. He's one of the warriors. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That yeah. would have been cool. Something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, I agree. That would have been cool. See, if anybody's listening, that's that's where you should take it. Exactly. Uh, you kind of mentioned hip hop. If they were to do a, a remake, obviously, this is like 79. So it's high to disco. They really didn't go with a disco attitude. I did like that. They always they had that the the female DJ, which kind of yeah. uh, on the radio. That was kind of cool, because if it was done today, everyone would be tweeting. That's the other thing that makes this. Oh, you know? you're it would right. Be, it'd be terrible. <laughs> so everyone would that know would where everyone is. It would it'd be like, oh, man. Good day. Did you see that tweet? Yeah, <laughs> that tweet says the Warriors are over here now. <laughs> right. So it'd be totally lost. It'd be complete garbage. So, yeah. 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 Fuck that. We live in a shitty time. Dude. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so but to touch upon the soundtrack, I always thought this would have been a a, be- a better soundtrack than what it was. Of course, you, you Joe Walsh in the city is great at the end. But I, I really don't remember much of the music uh, from there. We'll, I don't we'll, I don't yeah. either. Uh, mm-hmm. They did play some music, but it's very unmemorable where. In the City is one of my favorite songs ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got, I love that song so much, and uh, I, I think it's perfect. You know, that I've, I, uh, I ran out and bought that uh, Eagles album, uh, mm-hmm. the long run, because it, yep. it was a different version, but I still got it because of that song. You know, and uh, what a great way to end it with that song. Yeah, and it's, and it's it's just an optimistic song. You know. You know, somewhere out on that horizon. I just love the lyrics and Joe Walsh's voice. 
yes. it's just a rocking tune. It's it gives me chills. You know, it's one of those really great, like effective tunes. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I didn't even realize this, but I guess Desmond Child, when he was in the band Rouge, uh, they have a song on there called "Last of uh, Last of an Ancient Breed," which I, I I don't it doesn't even come to mind right now, but it's listed there. So uh, you are correct because yeah. uh, doing this episode right now, I watched the Warriors a few okay. days ago, and I saw it in the credits. I was mm. like, oh, Desmond Child and Rouge. You know, I noticed that. But every other artist, I didn't notice. Other right. than Joe Walsh, you know. But, yeah, yeah. And Desmond Child and Rouge was a New York-based band. Right. So they were there in the thick of it. So I guess they had some pull. Mm-hmm. Did did Ca- Casablanca had nothing to do with this movie, right? Who released this movie? Uh, Let's see. I believe it was Paramount. Paramount did it? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, because Casablanca was making movies back then. That's right. And a lot of disco uh, thank, stuff. <laughs> thank God it's Friday. Yep. And Midnight Express. Yeah. I, I believe, because I know they did the soundtrack. And there was another movie they were involved in that was kind of a hit. And I can't remember now what it was. Let me do but it. I remember when I was a kid, Thank God it's Friday was huge. Oh, here's a great one. Um, the Hollywood Nights. With... Uh, um, Tony Danza, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's it's basically like American Graffiti and Porky's. Wow. You know, it does ring a bell. It's something like, uh, you know, like I, I saw something the other day of a, you remember, because uh, I remember this movie as a little kid. And I totally forgot about it. There was a movie with Henry Winkler as a wrestler. You remember really? that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he was a, it was the height of Fonzie. Okay. And Hervé Villachez from, um, <laughs> From uh, the family, fam, uh, Fantasy Island. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a little wrestler in it. And, <laughs> and I forgot who was a love interest. She was, like, famous, too. And it was a hit movie. But then I totally forgot about it. And then I saw somebody write something about it. I was like, holy shit, I totally forgot about this movie. So that sounds like, you know, the same thing with that Tony Danza movie. It kind of rings a bell with me back then. The, the one that was and a only. Casablanca movie? The one and only is the one you're talking about. Yeah, with Henry Winkler. Yes, yeah. The movie. So the Hollywood Nights is great. It's basically like uh, it's mostly Porky's, but there is that that uh, that drive in element to from American Graffiti. So it's like that. And there's some really funny scenes. There, the plot is like non-existence. It's just a night in the life of of these teenagers who are all 35 years old in real life. So, uh, right. yeah. And the other one that Casablanca uh, produced was Foxes. With Jody yes, that, yeah. yes, Angel was in that. And Angel, yeah. Uh, and um, Scott Baio, Jody mm-hmm. Foster, um, uh, and one Shuri of the Runaways, Curry. Sherry Curry from the Runaways. I yep. remember that one too. Oh, that was a Casablanca movie. Interesting. Yeah, Randy Quaid's in it too. Wow, <laughs> I th- I saw that movie way. I I don't remember it at all, but I saw it not in the theater, okay. but I did see that movie. I think on cable back then. Right. Yeah, Foxes with Scott Bale. Young, very young Scott Bale. I yeah, I used to uh Zapped. I always loved him and Zapped. <laughs> I remember that one, yeah. He was like a like a geek or something, professor, he, something like that. With, yeah, he telekinesis, yeah. He had like he was like he had like a little fucking place with like, you know, like scientist thing, right? Yep. Exactly. And something happened, like concoction went bad or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, then he could basically will people with his mind. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do remember that. So we'll get into some of the characters. One, one of the most uh, interesting characters, I think, for the Warriors is Ajax, who's played by James Remar, because 
you were mentioning earlier how you kind of almost don't like some of the warriors. And I think the most polarizing character is Ajax. What do you think actually happened to him in the film? Because it's totally ambiguous. You don't know what happens to him after he gets arrested. And uh, and do you love to hate him or do you just love him because of his brash attitude? I love them. Okay. I love them because he was such a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know, I didn't like I, I'll be honest and I'm not trying to be counter cold uh, or cancer culture here. But yeah. I didn't like how he grabbed that chick's tit so quick. Yeah, the, like, the undercover on, cop. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, all right, I know you want it. It's like, come on, you know, that was a little that that was a little too scummy of a part for me. But everything else he did, I mean, for him to say, Hey, you go on, guys, man, this chick gave me a look. I'm gonna say, dude, that sounds like me. You know, <laughs> I do the same thing. I mean, you go on, dude. This chick's hot. I'm banging her in the park. But you know, but but him like forcing himself so heavily on her. It was like, yeah, yeah, that was wrong. I thought that, but everything else, I thought he was, you know, I liked how he tried to take over, you yeah. know, like who made you, you know, oh, you know, Swan, Swan was, uh, what what did they call him? The warrior? Uh, I mean, the, I forgot, like, uh, you know, the chief while this guy's away. Like he was like first in command. Yeah. 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 So he was trying to take over. I like that, that chemistry be- between both of them because there was a lot of hate there and I liked that. It brought tension to the to the movie exactly and that's why it was unfortunate because i think one of the better characters was cleon who was actually the leader yeah. uh, but before all the the shit went down and um it's unfortunate we didn't get actually more out of him yeah because he he was kicking ass there before he five was. people jumped him yeah you know he exactly. was taking care of shit you know we might as well get into the main villain, of course. Of course, Luther. I, I can't think of any better, anybody better or creepier uh, to play Luther than uh, uh, David uh, Kelly. Um, h- how did you feel about Luther, and, and could have anyone pay- played him better? No, nobody could have played that guy better. I hated him. Oh, yeah. I fucking hated him, and I, I just thought, and you know, uh, the same guy that made the Warrior made Commando, right. And he and he brought not only no did, did he bring uh, Ajax no Ajax was in Forty Eight Hours yes where also the guy that did Warriors did Forty Eight Hours mm-hmm. but here Walter here's Hill. a yep. here's a little funny thing I don't know if you know about mm-hmm. Luther um, when Twisted Sister did uh, the video for Leader of the Pack come out and play that, that yeah album, uh-huh. they wanted him instead of Bobcat Goldthwait in the video oh. But he refused because he didn't want to be typecasted. But dude, the guy had the guy had the same name in the Warriors and Commando, if you remember. They were both called Luther. Yeah. (laughs) So like they kind of they typecast you in fucking Commando. Yeah, you were very hateable. I hate him in Commando too, you know? (laughs) But uh yeah, yeah, I really despised him. (laughs) I hated him so much, you know. Well what's amazing. Warriors, they did it. Well, I mean, that was his film debut, too. I mean, oh, how was good it? was that? Yeah. No, no. In order, to, if you hate a character, yes. it means they're an amazing actor. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, he was amazing. I, I didn't hate him for the acting. I hate him for how well he portrayed a scumbag. Right. And you need that. For any, you, if, if you don't have a strong villain, then the hero can't be, can't yeah. take over. Yeah, exactly. And it was great. It was great how the revenge happened at the end. It was just badass. Now, the director, Walter Hill, you'll appreciate this. He directed um, the Ralph Macchio classic Crossroads as a guitar. Oh, cool. so, yes. So. Didn't he have something to do with Slapshot? No, I don't. Maybe he I don't that's know. That's one, a good that's question. That's one of my favorite movies, too. Mine too. I believe he, I believe he did 
do slap shot as well. I could be wrong. Okay. I would have to look back. His uh, his his directorial debut was actually a Charles Bronson movie, Hard Times, where uh, he plays a bare knuckle boxer. Wow, I remember that movie vaguely. Yeah, he didn't have a mustache in that movie. No, exactly. It's a yeah, good movie. Yeah, yeah I, I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, so that, that's a good one. Um, we might as well get into the director's cut. So obviously, you saw you you saw the original film. I've I think I've only really remember that the, now the director's cut because i've seen it so long how did you feel about like the comic book inserts and, and how it's it's been kind of revised well i hate to be i hate to be countercultural here <laughs> but i dug it okay everybody hates that shit i was yeah. like i liked it it was it was i mean i prefer the original cut don't get me wrong sure but to see because i got it on dvd the director's cut and i got the i mean blu-ray director's cut mm -hmm. i got the original on dvd which the other day I watched the uh, original because I did okay. see the director's cut many times. I don't think I watched the original in a while. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, get back to the gritty thing. But I liked it. I thought and and if if I remember correctly, that was the original intent for the movie. Exactly. Yes. It, it was originally supposed to be that way. But you know, purists, you know how purists are, you know, it's like, nah, you fucking it up. Which I understand. I mean, if they you know, if they, they did shit like that to Jaws, I probably wouldn't like it, you know. But um, but I, th I liked it. it. It didn't really take away from the movie. You didn't miss anything. I mean, they didn't cut anything out as far as no. I recall. No, you know, it was still the same shit. And that's always the, the, the problem with George Lucas is he's basically trying to reinvent history and that's the worst. No, no, that, that is, that sucks. Yeah. I, I, I got lucky, Brian. I got, I got, uh, all three star Wars movies, the original cuts on Blu-ray. Right. Uh, right. There's some dude on eBay selling them. And it, it's it was made by a bunch of real nerdy Star Wars fans that got all that footage mm -hmm. and cleaned it up. And I got, you know, it doesn't say the New Hope in right. Episode Three. I don't think it even says Episode Three. You know, it just says I'm in Episode Four. I don't. I, I think it just starts with the, you know, Star with Wars. The script. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, and I, yeah, dude, I hated, I hated what he did. Yeah, you know, horrible CGI. All these new monsters that sucked. I like that cheap looking shit, like in you know, uh, like in the bar. You know, sure. <laughs> I, like, I, I like all that primitive shit. You know, there's a charm but, to it. Yeah, it is. There's a big charm. That so my favorite movie in the world is Jaws. Yeah, that that shark cannot look any more fake. Yeah, you know, but I love it. I love it. You, it, you know, you suspend that. You know, you, that's why. Man, I I hate to go on a tirade, so I'll try not to. No, go for it. But that's why I hate when I hear people. Oh, I don't like the production on this. I, I was like, I can't tell. Right. I can't. Oh, I hate Born Again because the way it sounds shit. I know Born Again, Black Sabbath doesn't sound that good, but it makes the album sound great because it's dark. And I don't know. I, I call it poverty production. <laughs> it's and, totally and I, unique. Yeah. I like that poverty shit that I used to see as a kid, like Jaws yeah. and stuff like that. It was great. It was well, awesome. Because A perfect example of that is Rocky. The original Rocky was a million dollars, and they had to get things done under budget. And because of that, they had happy accidents because they couldn't afford to go more grandiose. And so 28 days. Yeah, exactly. So the, like that famous uh, scene in the original movie where he's running on the pier, that was totally guerrilla filmmaking where uh, John Avelson said, okay, get out here. You run. We, we don't have any permits. You just run. And so <laughs> that's, and it works. It totally works. And that's works. one of the greatest scenes when he's really hauling ass. Yes. During going to fly now, it, yep. it, it brings an extra oomph to yes. that scene. The way he just keeps running faster, faster. And you see 
the guys filming it is like the car is going fast. Keep exactly. up with it. It's yes. fucking amazing. It is. It's perfect. And if they had a budget, it probably wouldn't have looked as good, you know? Yeah, exactly. And one of my go, favorite go movies of all time. I mean, it's still my favorite Rocky movie. And I love all Rocky movies, even five. I love yeah. them all. But that first one, oh, my God. I was there, dude. I mean, I know the, the big hype that was going on. Sure. You know, Sylvester Stallone would have been best actor of the year mm-hmm. that year if it wasn't for that dude dying from the movie Network. Network, yep. And they gave it to him because he died, dude. Because Ro- Sylvester Stallone did a, the, the best performance. But that's why he's not really well respected. If he would have won, because dude, Sylvester Stallone to me is a phenomenal actor I and think an amazing great. writer too. Oh uh, yeah, and an amazing writer. Look, look at Copland. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's with fucking uh, Robert De Niro, standing toe to toe with him. Yep. You know, Robert De Niro does not outshine Sylvester Stallone at all. You know, it's like the guy's a great actor, but you know, he did take, do Cobra and some, you know. Some movies that critics pan and sure. they 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 painted him as a lunkhead, mm-hmm. and he's a very intelligent guy, you know. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Absolutely, he well, he knew what people wanted, and he's the last of a dying breed, which were true superstars. There are no actors today that you'll go to see simply because they're in it. Stallone, I'd see whatever movie he did, including Don't Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, because yep. Stallone was in it. You can't say that about any actor today. No, like, no, I have to see anything that guy's in. Yes, I love exactly. him. He's one of my favorites, man. I own so many Sylvester Stallone movies. Yep. It's sickening. <laughs> well, I love Cobra, so we're on the same. I, 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 Cobra, look, man, I'll tell you right now, Cobra's stupid as fuck, but I love it. It is. I it's too. just so stupid, but it's so stupid. It's like Kiss Meets the Phantom. It's so stupid, it's great. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I'll absolutely. tell you a funny story about Cobra when I started sure. in the theater. You know the scene in Cobra where <laughs> the car flies off the, the, the second story um, parking lot where it uh-huh. breaks? I swear to you, I'm not lying. When that scene happened in the theater, there was an old lady sitting in front of me. She's like, I've had enough. And she left <laughs> during that scene. That's the one thing that I always remember about Cobra. That old lady's like, that's it. I've had enough. And she left. <laughs> uh, she should. She uh, better that she didn't leave during that. Well, I don't shop here. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beginning, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and you're you're totally spot on about the the re-recording because it's like re-recording albums. Like I, I can't stand what Dave Mustaine did all with all those Megadeth albums. And yeah, and, man, leave yeah. them as it is, man. They're perfect yeah. as they are. And the same thing. I mean, there are exceptions, but you know, like as far as remake movies, dude. Uh, Nineteen seventy-eight Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, that's an amazing remake. Sure, Scarface, amazing remake. You got to remember, this is late seventies, early eighties, and yep. it was a different world. Now, now when they do remakes, I haven't seen the only remake I ever saw that I liked, and this is like over ten, maybe even twenty years now. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, I love that remake. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I, I don't think it's better than the original, but I love it because the, the 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 zombies ran real fast. I was like, <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> so that was the one remake I can tell you I actually enjoyed. Or you know, did you ever see True Grit the remake? No, and I love that movie with John mm-hmm. Wayne. Yeah, and so the Coen brothers did it darker, and because uh, almost the original was had a little humor to it, like there's almost like a wink to it. That's it's not that way with the remake, and I think that's the best way where you you basically they stand on their own, and and that's for me the best type of remake. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I've, the worst remake I ever saw is uh, Death Race. Mm, um, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, when I was talking about um, hip hop before, there were hip hop scenes where hot chicks are walking slow motion out of a car with right. hip hop talk. I was like, "Fuck this movie, man!" It's like <laughs> they're trying to be Fast and Furious or something. Yeah, like it was terrible, man. It's like, "Fuck that!" Death Race two thousand is a classic. <laughs> yes, with Sylvester Stallone. Yes, that's absolutely true. All right, so we'll, we'll talk. You just resaw this. What are some of your favorite scenes uh, in the film? And if anything, what would you have changed in, in the original? Um, well, like I said, I didn't like the part where they dragged that chick with them. So mm-hmm. I would find like another chick that wasn't so troublesome, a okay. little more uh, likable when she showed up on the screen than that girl to pull along with them. I think that would be the only thing I would change because everything else, I thought it was shot perfect. I mean, every little thing, the part where the beginning where you see the map of the subway and them talking to each other and then they go back to the subway, you know, it's just that moving. I think that movie is geniusly shot. Oh, yeah, it is. It's cinematography. So well well done. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I wouldn't change anything. Um, What was the other question? What what are your favorite scenes? Um, I liked I liked the Lizzie's part a lot. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, yeah, I liked that part because when they pulled out the the knife and and that slow motion running out the door, breaking the door down. Yep. I liked, uh, of course, the baseball furies. I liked when the baseball furies were leaving. Mm-hmm. Just the, the scene of them grabbing their bats, going yes. out. That shit looked badass. I was like, yes. oh man, they're in trouble now, you know? <laughs> but then the Warriors just kicked their ass really oh, bad. Oh, it wasn't even a fight. I know. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a, they only got one hit in, you know? Yep. But still, they, that's why they're my favorite because they just look so menacing. Right. Um, and, uh, ooh, uh, of course, the most iconic scene uh, Warriors yes. come out. And, that is so annoying. With yeah. the bottles, but I love it because it was like, oh, oh man, get him! I want his ass kicked already. God damn it! <laughs> it really built up the scumbaggery of this dude. Yeah, you know, I like that, and I liked also where he uh, he throws something at that girl at the little market. I forgot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When he was on the payphone, and yes, what are, what are you looking at? And he throws something at her. You know? <laughs> I yeah, like that just, scene. He's just so he's such he's so vile. Yeah, I just yeah. And I like and of course I like the beginning where you know the leader of the warriors kicked all those people's asses before they fucked them up. That was badass. Right. Right. But yeah, those are my favorite scenes. I think today, if there was a room, I think they would probably. I think the most interesting would probably be the Lizzies because what what is their backstory like? Where because you know I thought it was pretty good that they would have a female gang back then. Like everyone was pretty much represented. And this is back in 1979, so I, I thought they did a great job with everything. I could be wrong, but I kind of remember seeing the documentary on the Blu-ray saying that there were no such thing as female gangs back then. Right. That they kind of like invented it, which is cool. Absolutely. You know, I thought it was cool, and they were you know they were. They were some of them were really hot, you know, and it was yeah. like when they pull out the knives and shit, it's like, oh shit, you know? Yep. And throw you know, shooting and all the bad shots. They were like they were like the stormtroopers. They couldn't hit anybody with a gun. <laughs> exactly. But but it was a cool damn scene, man. I like ran out of there. It was just badass. I, I loved it. I love that scene. And I also like when they ran in the graveyard early in the movie. Yep. And they were hiding and, and I, I just thought that was a cool little place to go hide first. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's just those scenes were you know, and also the running uh, in the park where, you know, park at night or dark, but they had these lights. 
Yes. Like on the trees and stuff that brighten the people running. And I, I'm telling you, my all these little details of that movie, because I've seen the movie, fuck, hundreds of times. Sure. You know, and, uh, and yeah, I just love the way it was shot. I love the script. I mean, it's a little adolescent at times, mm-hmm. but that's what's the charm of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? So, well, yeah, man, those will be my favorite scenes. Well, especially in the park scene, you could tell that the chore- choreography for them doing those fight scenes had to be spot on. Because today they would probably just use CGI for a lot of it. But there you could tell, like, they actually had to have those moves down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they were very well choreographed beforehand, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like I was saying, that baseball, you can tell that's some good choreography with the baseball furies. Yes. And, you know, I'm going to turn that I'm gonna turn that into a popsicle or some shit like that. Yep. You know, I loved Ajax, man. He was such a scumbag. He was. <laughs> he was well, awesome. we're gonna wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts? And obviously, you know, I ask everyone, would you recommend this? You would absolutely recommend this. I absolutely recommend this to people that are old enough to know bat wrong from right. <laughs> Not <laughs> yes. these little gangbangers now. No, I don't recommend it to them because they'll probably go out there and beat up old ladies and shit. <laughs> but you know, anybody out there with brain cells. You know, uh, yeah, definitely. If you've never seen the Warriors, believe me, strap yourself on. Don't think of reality too much. Escape your reality. Escape your everyday life and just watch it with an open mind. And for pure entertainment purposes, you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. And enjoy the rawness of the 70s, because really it, it was that was it was transitioning to the 80s. It was kind of the last of those type of films. My favorite era, man. My fa- my favorite everything 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's timeline because I was growing up then, but Jesus, man, everything that came out in the 70s, I fucking loved everything. You know, everything that was released, I loved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's why, and we'll, we'll harken back. I'll give a plug to Damn Good Movie Memories because we I, I did an episode with you and, and Ian Wadley about the, your favorite movies from 1975 to 79. That was a great episode. We had a lot of fun on that. Uh, yes, and you both joined me on the Vieira Vault for movies too, right? That's or right. Was that we, a crossover? Was that No, it was, it was very early Vieira Vault where we talked about our um, – Top 10 uh, worst movies and oh, best sequels and worst sequels and worst sequels. That was a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, that was a blast. Blues Brothers 2000. Do not see. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ralph, thank you so much for doing this. And, and oh, don't I, I want to say oh, one ahead. last thing before sure. we leave. Absolutely. Another really fun episode we did was this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again so much, Ralph. Hey, man, you rule, Brian. You know, you know, I love you, man. You're just a good guy, and hanging out with you in um, Nashville yep. really show that you're you're like the type of people I like to hang out with because I know well, you're genuine. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're, you know, there's no pretense, and I know you. I, I would leave my wallet in the room with you. I absolutely yes, and and, <laughs> and me with you, and, and if you took some, I wouldn't care. Yeah, no, I wouldn't <laughs> care either, man. <laughs> But I know Thanks. you wouldn't. That's that's why I would leave that wallet. Believe me, I, I wouldn't I, leave my wallet with you if I didn't trust you. And this is why my mom loves you because you speak the truth. Uh, well, you know what? I love your mom, and mm-hmm. hopefully she's listening right now because you are a great mother because you raised this dude. And uh, this well, dude is genuine, and only a good parent can do that. Thank you, thank you, and my my dad would agree too. Oh damn! <laughs> I was hoping to marry your mom. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Thanks again, bro. Hey, thank you, Brian. You rule, bro. 
Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.